0: To talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. We're going off the rails outside the box. How's this for a guest? I've got one of the biggest-selling musicians of all time who sold the most records, over 100 million records. He is a virtuoso of his instrument. He is the man who holds the Guinness Book of World Records title for the longest single note ever played on a saxophone for 45 minutes. I'm talking about the curly-haired Kenny G. That's right. This week, it's curly-haired Kenny Week on Talk is Jericho, Kenny Omega on Friday, and Kenny G. Here today And you might think Kenny Gee, How did that happen uh, Funny story I was connected With Meatloaf I remember if you heard The Meatloaf interview A few um, months ago And then the same uh, Amazing publicist Caitlin DeForest then asked me, would you like to do Kenny G? I was like, "Uh, yeah. Kenny G, are you kidding me? The, the biggest-selling saxophone player of all time. One of the biggest-selling musicians of all time, like I said. Unbelievable. He's played with Celine Dion, Whitney Houston. He made his professional debut while he was still in high school as part of R&B legend Barry White's band. Kenny's also huge in China. One of his songs is bigger than Happy Birthday in China. You hear all about that. And yeah, Also, he's got an OG rock and roll story about his debut appearance on the Johnny Carson show and how it nearly cost him his entire career very 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 cool stuff kenny is a rocker i love this guy he's got some great stories about touring and eating in china and wait to hear a couple of the bands that he hopes to one day do sax solos for you won't believe it Uh, one of them might even be fozzy but i think it would be amazing if and when it happens it's funny too because when i showed up he's got a beautiful mansion in malibu as you can imagine never met him before pulled up at the gate uh buzzed he buzzed me in and he came to the door and then he's like Hey are you that Chris Jericho and I was like yeah he goes oh, I thought it was another Chris Jericho I didn't realize it was you so he's also a wrestling fan as well and we were just in the same hotel in China a few weeks before this so it's a great conversation with a guy that I just met up with and hit off right hit it off with right away ever get that where you meet somebody and you just instantly have a, a connection with them great to be uh, in Kenny G's house and great to get to know him great great guy and a great interview one of my favorites actually so he's coming up but first a quick reminder to please sign up for the new talk is jericho automated email system so that you can get all the info about this podcast along with every new episode delivered directly to your inbox just go to podcast1.com slash jericho podcast1.com slash jericho get all the information sign up it's like uh, being part of the talk is jericho fan club so go check that out and also check out diamond dallas page and ddpy all right and it's the perfect time to get your health and fitness on track for 2017 Dallas is making it absolutely very easy not only with his DDPY program but also with this tremendous deal he's offering to get you involved. Right now, you get 25% off all DDPY merch and swag, okay? And if that's not enough, when you buy a max pack or a combo pack you'll get a second one for 50% off the price that's already 25% off. So you're paying like 25% for a second max pack or combo pack. That's the kind of deals you're getting at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. And yeah, when you buy the DDPY DVDs, you also get three months for free of the DDPYoga Now app. You know what DDPY has done for me and what it's done for Jake the Snake, Scott Hall, Kane, AJ Styles, RVD, Mick Foley, Corey Taylor, Rich Ward, uh, Gary Holt, so many others. They're all doing the DDPY program program and why not I got in the best physical and mental condition of my life uh, from doing this I'm the new US champion uh, at 46 years old don't have any issues at all because of ddp yoga this really works i'm a walking living breathing proof of this and with the app you can do ddpy anytime anyplace anywhere right from your phone or tablet and the app not only lets you do all the workouts right from your phone it's also got a bunch of other cool special features to keep you on that path to healthy living all right and ddp yoga now app subscribers won't ever get bored doing the same workouts over and over again because ddp has added completely new 2.0 workouts and weekly live workouts from the ddp Yoga Performance Center. Speewe and I went and visited the Performance Center a couple weeks ago in Smyrna, Georgia. And what an amazing, amazing facility it is. It's basically the headquarters of all DDPY um, business and also live workouts and all that sort of stuff. You should go check it out uh, and also check it out, like I said, on on the DDPY app amazing stuff and like i said you get 25 off all ddpy merch and dvds and you can get a second max pack or combo pack for 50 off that uh price that's already 25 off so it's the biggest sale ever on the ddpy program so take advantage of it get on the path to healthier living today just go to ddpyoga.com slash jericho that's all you got to do to take advantage of this great deal just go to ddpyoga.com slash jericho that's ddpyoga.com slash jericho change your life today get in the best shape of your life mentally physically all the way across the board ddpy is going to take you there talk is jericho All right. So through a really cool set of uh, circumstances, I am here at the uh, amazing house of Kenny G, (laughs) which is funny because it's like as soon as your publicist said, would you like to talk to Kenny? I'm like, absolutely. Because I think everyone knows that you're like a household name, whether you know the actual songs or music or whatever. Everyone knows Kenny G. Yeah, well, I think they know my music. Um, and they put, I think
1: they know my hair. I was going to say My hair my
0: music. Your hair really <laughs> makes you stand out, right?
1: I guess so, yeah. I was just flying back from, we were talking about being in China. I just flew back. Uh, night before last uh-huh. and there's a guy sitting in front of me so i the flight attendant comes up and she and i don't see the guy she leans down to him and she says i am such a huge fan of yours you know i've been listening to music forever and i'm thinking who's in sitting in front of me then she kind of opens her eyes she, i think she was looking at the ground she opens her eyes and she was told the wrong chair she was she was trying to tell me and she looked at me and she goes
0: you don't look like Kenny G.
1: <laughs> where's your Where's all your hair? <laughs> and I said, I'm back here.
0: <laughs> have you always had like long hair like that? Well, I had it
1: since of, um, about eleventh grade. Okay. Um, when you have curly hair, it looks really bad or really good. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to grow it out. Like if if you have it in an in between. Length it looks really really lousy. So, right, right, right. So you, if short it's fine. Yeah. And if you start to grow it out, it looks really bad for a long time. And my hair looked terrible for a while, and then finally it you get to that phase better. where it's too long to be short and too short to be long. Exactly. It's just like you got to wear like a headband or a hat all the time. Well, I was just I was kind of a nerd anyway, so I didn't I wasn't really <laughs> popular. I didn't have a girlfriend.
0: Not that I didn't want
1: one, but for I sure. There was, there was no way I could ever have a girlfriend when I was like in tenth or eleventh grade. I and never
0: had a girlfriend in high school either.
1: Gosh, I which know.
0: Such people think it's so weird, but it's just like I just didn't
1: know what to do. You know. I think of it as an advantage now because I I see, well actually, both of my kids did not have girlfriends through high school and they really did well in school. Mm-hmm. So they weren't didn't have the distractions and I've seen the other friends that have had girlfriends and they are distracted and they don't do as well in school. So. And I don't think it's a disadvantage to, be, to I, not have a girlfriend. Especially when
0: you're younger, too. And I, I was heard this advice, actually. I watched this movie years ago at Paul Stanley. said something like, if you want to make it and be famous, you can't have a girlfriend in the early days. It's too hard to, yeah. you know, you're traveling around or you got to go do a gig for, you know, in 4 a.m. or whatever it may be. Yeah. And I, I always kept that in mind when I was first starting out wrestling. I didn't have a girlfriend kind of to quote unquote tie me down. Not that I had a lot of options, anyways, but it really <laughs> helped in those years.
1: Well, because you can really practice. I mean, you're practicing your wrestling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think of all the the workout hours you Mm -hmm. have to put in, right? And if you think, well, you know, I I would work out two hours, but I can only work out 45 minutes because I have to go and take my girlfriend to the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I, I was the same way. I just practiced five hours a day, four hours a day for years and years and years, and I never even... I never thought about that there was other options. <laughs> yeah, there's something else no, going on. I wanted that. other options, but I just didn't have the chance. <laughs> Were you
0: growing your hair out, you said, like in 11th grade, which is probably late 60s, early 70s, somewhere along then? Were you a rock guy, or was just everybody had long hair at that point? I was not a rock guy. I grew up in Seattle, which doesn't mean I wasn't a rock guy. Mm-hmm. But
1: I grew up in this um, area where there was a really kind of a funny area. It was a lot of um, there was a lot of Asian, a lot of black, and Jewish. Mm. So it was almost about half, one-third... Each of those categories. So when I went to school, we really listened a lot to to R&B music. Mm -hmm. We weren't rock and roll guys. Right. And so I never really got into it. I got into R&B music. Like what kind of stuff? We were listening to Tower Power. We were listening to Barry White. Mm. Um, Who else? Grover Washington Jr. was my sax idol because he was playing more like a soulful kind of sax. Right. Talking about bands that had horn
0: sections, basically.
1: Blood, Sweat, and Tears, I liked. They had a horn section. Chicago, Chicago I liked that, a horn section.
0: When uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire came Earth, out. Earth, Wind, and Fire, loved with Earth, Wind, and Fire. So, yeah, those were kind of like the bands I listened to. So, so, so the technical instrument that you're famous for playing is an alto sax or tenor sax? Soprano sax. Soprano sax. The straight one. That's so, t- what... tell us the difference between
1: the three. Well, okay, good question. You know, technically, not much difference they all play the same the fingerings the same they sound different the tenor's bigger and has a deeper sound the alto's in between and the soprano's got more of a of a of a of a higher sound but mm. i mean i can't it's hard to describe in words what, sure, what they you. do they they it's just
0: different tones different tones, depending tones. on the yeah. size yeah. Right? yeah 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 because i mean it's all with the uh with the woodwind instruments correct is is, is it the embouchure is it, what's the correct term for the, the... that's correct because i used embouchure. to play trombone yeah so it's kind of a similar thing, but the brass instrument you're blowing into the mouthpiece, right. so that you had the reed. Yeah, you've got a buzz sound going. You've got a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we just blow with the reed doing the vibrating I remember I never wanted to play Reed because it was so you to change the reeds. And there there's always like saliva in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and
1: then I, and then you look at the brass players like you got all these drops of spit coming out of your valves. You got to open and the valves. That and was spray gross,
0: and I hated that. So so now that, that you know you're you're an arena act, a stadium act, or big act, do you have like a roadie that changes the reeds for you, like oh, changing no. guitar strings? <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> Not a chance. Yeah, I mean, it's a hands-on thing. I have to do everything, which mm. is fine.
1: I mean, I should sure. Um, and I, I rarely even let people carry my sax cases. Really? I just do it myself. Yeah, it's one of those things.
0: When you travel, do you carry your saxes with you?
1: I do, I do. I, I mean, I can. The problem with the airlines is they won't. They really they're st- becoming sticklers for this two carry on rule. Mm-hmm. So I always have a, I have a bag. Okay, like everybody has a carry bag on the on the flight. You have your computer in it, your telephone, whatever else you have the in magazine. there, your wallets, yeah. your passport. Okay, so I have that. But then i have a sack so that's my two
0: mm-hmm.
1: so if i take two sacks as i have three and i mean eight times out of ten no problem two times out of ten huge problem really you're not getting on with that i said yeah but you know i fly. i've got like five million miles i'm i fly american all the time sure. so i'm I said, I said look i'm look at i got the card that says i'm like one of your like triple platinum we you can't i said okay so i go to the back of the line i said does anybody want to be my friend for a minute? And <laughs> most people look at me and go, "Who is this guy?" And then somebody goes, "Hey, I really like your music." I said, "Do you have an extra hand?" Yes, carry the sax for me. <laughs> and then we walk on. And then this, then the flight person says, "Do you know this person?" And they open. Yes. Do you are you doing this voluntarily? Yes. And then I get
0: on the flight. And Isn't that crazy? It's like it's going to get on anyway. Come on. It's so funny. Kenny G, <laughs> the most famous saxophone guy, has to have someone carry on his saxophone for that reason. You yeah, know?
1: and, and it really it's I. I feel bad too because you got all these bad vibes going. You know, mm. like somebody's getting mad at you, and they're they're like skeptical. How come you? You know, I don't like that. I just wish they would just let me just sure. carry him on. There, there's going to be room
0: somewhere. I mean, I mean, and, and not that you would ever ask for, so but I mean, give this, give you, give the guy a pass. It's Kenny G. He's got two saxophones. Yeah, you know, you, know? you, you do that and then everybody... <laughs> you don't want to no, do say that, it. unfortunately. Yeah, do you know I'm, who I am? That's the worst thing you could ever The Worst ever thing say. in the world. Let me ask you this. So you're talking about like a guitar player who would collect, let's say, you know, like a 59 uh, Les Paul, which is mm. like the most expensive guitar. Is it like that for saxophones as well? Is there certain ones that are more expensive, maybe older or yeah. classic ones?
1: There are. The, there's um, the Selmer Mark 6s are considered the premium ones and they were made in the 50s-ish. Mm. hmm um, and I, those are the ha- horns I have. I just got them when I was a, when I was a kid, I've had the same saxes since I was oh, in high school. wow. Yeah. They just happened to be Mark Sixes. Wow. And so, and they were, you know, fairly expensive back then. Well, my Soprano only cost me 300 bucks, but it's probably worth like 12 grand, grand now. Well, and
0: add on the fact that you're playing it. Well, it's maybe, worth a lot yeah, well, I'm not going to ever sell it. <laughs> yeah, but, sure. But
1: all the horns like the, the, yeah, but they're, I don't know. I think... I think some guys collect saxes. I don't collect them. Mm-hmm. I have the three saxes that I play. I have an alto, a tenor, a soprano. I have a couple of spares that just in case that I've never used ever, but they're there, and that's it. That's basically.
0: But these are the same ones that you play. Same played. ones. So you've never had saxophone stolen or anything like that. No, that's great. Yeah. Because yeah. that happens quite a bit in rock and roll. People will steal guitars, or oh. you hear like a famous guitar gets ripped off, and then someone finds it in a pawn shop a year later or something that along sucks, those lines. Man. Right?
1: Yeah. That's that would be horrible. Um, but they never, they're never really out of my sight. That's they're always the thing, right? with me, and they're either in my hotel room, or they're on stage with me, or they're in my, ba- my dressing room. And if I ever leave my dressing room, there's always somebody watching it, because I don't want anyone going in messing with my horns.
0: That's like uh, Slash's top hat. Is no, that right? never leaves his sight, and if it does, he has uh, his, his guy that takes It's either him or this guy that has that top hat at all times.
1: And, and that particular top hat, he can't get a replacement for That's a That's the hat? original.
0: It's, it's it's just like saying you can't get a replacement for your. Oh, side. but no,
1: that's I. You know what? I think you could. He could get it made perfectly, and it would be fine. I'm sure, but you know how it is. I guess that's the one from sentimental the start. Reason. Exactly sentimental.
0: Yeah. And once again, good vibes. Yeah, good memories. All I that guess sort so. of Stuff right. When you started playing sax, um, was there a big R and B scene in Seattle? Because you always know about the Hendrix and then the Grunge and Heart and like yeah. But is there a big music scene? Uh, R and B style. In there se- in there was actually in the seventies, mm. uh, so like mid seventies, there was
1: this a lot of um, we were like Earthwind Fire type bands, uh, lead singers, horn section, funky music, and there was a bunch of, sac- uh, of bands playing in Seattle. Mm. We, I, I was in a band called Cold Bold and Together. There was a band called Cooking Bag. There was a band called Black and White Affair. Um, there was a, uh, there was a, but maybe three or four more, and we all played. There was only a couple of black clubs, and we mm-hmm. would all play them. Over and over, recycle, uh, recycle over and over those clubs, but
0: um, there was no money in it. But the thing about those type of bands, too, if you're talking about an R&B band, or, or if you're mentioning, let's say, like a Santana or something like mm-hmm. that, it was a mixed race bands. Yes, we were, and that was not really that prevalent until that time frame with yeah. that style of music. You yeah, know? In the
1: '70s—that's when it started to happen. Yeah, I was the when I joined the band Cold Bold and together they were they were an all black band, and I reluctantly. For some of the guys in the band, I was part of the band. Oh, yeah! Like half the guys wanted me, and half the guys didn't want me because I wasn't I wasn't black. Right, right, right. And they got I got I grew on them. They got used <laughs> to me having being in the band. But I was we had one Asian guy, Philip Wu. Philip Wu played keyboards. Sax me, and then the rest guys were that black. Was black dudes. Yeah, because you played
0: with Barry White too, right? I did. Was that another band that had some white guys and some black guys? Well, that, black dudes. It was well, the whole rhythm
1: section was black, mm-hmm.
0: and then what they would do they would go
1: around from city to city. They would pick up an orchestra. So the orchestra was just like the Seattle Symphony Orchestra, m- mostly white guys. Mm-hmm. So they'd be a bit in the back playing, but the, but the core group was black. And then they had they had a sax soloist. And the reason I got the gig is because I guess their guy would, got sick or just couldn't make it. And I'm assuming he was another one of the black guys that played with Barry White. Mm. And then they, they uh, came to Seattle, and they were desperate for a sax player. And I was in high school still. And my band director happened to talk to the guy that was putting this band together, putting the show together for Barry White. And he says, well, there's, I got this kid in my high school band that can do it. Right. Um, but he said, yeah, no, but he's got to be a soulful player. Well, I was. <laughs> And he's got to be able to read music. Well, I could. So the 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 white guys in Seattle that played sax could not play soulful. The the black guys in Seattle that could play soulful didn't know how to read music. Mm. I knew how to do. I was the guy that could do both. Mm-hmm. So I got the the gig. And when I walked onto the bandstand, I mean, I was in, in let's see, in my senior year of high school, I don't even know if I weighed a hundred pounds. I mean, I was really really skinny, and not too tall. I was probably five seven or something. And they looked at this little kid coming onto the stage, and they go, you're playing the sax?" Oh, no, they were so skeptical. But I, but I killed the part, too. Nice. I, killed, I killed the solos, killed everything, and, and, the, and that was the start of my professional career because that was the first time I got paid to play. Ah. And I also got confidence to know that if I can sit in with Barry White's guys, these are pros, and if they're impressed with me and they're telling me I'm a good player, then I think that I could just keep doing this and maybe I can have a career.
0: Right, right. Because you said guys playing with Barry White, they're all killers. They were, yeah, yeah, but I mean, they were pros. I,
1: I'd never played with professional musicians before. I would just play with my high school band. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I ever played with pros. I was like, <laughs> what was Barry I white, like to, to work for. Him? Oh well, he, you know, he barely knew I existed. <laughs> I, I, I don't think he spoke. Didn't even. I didn't have a conversation. Was it just one me. gig. Three, three gigs. Three gigs. So you're Seattle, just... Portland, and and uh, Vancouver. Okay. So we made it to Canada. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so as long as you don't screw up, the you're you're doing a good. That's job. That's right. Yeah, I got Notice three gigs. First way. was Portland. Uh, then we went to vancouver and then seattle was last so seattle what happened which was cool was that all the um people in my high school which i told you we went to an r&b it was a very uh it was an interracial high school so when barry white came to town like everybody went to see the show Mm -hmm. so now they, they i stand up and they're going isn't that that nerdy kid that walks around <laughs> the hallway with his saxophones all the time? Well, I went back to school and I was a I was a, a big bonus a, a hero. Yeah. <laughs> like wow, guys are that would that would wouldn't give me the time of day or like talking to me and I'm cool now. <laughs> it was awesome.
0: See, so you're talking about playing like in a horn section in a band and there's some great ones and even talking about the dudes who played with the Stones. You know, Bobby. I can't remember what his last name is, but but what prompted you to go out on your own? Uh, mm. you're playing with Barry White and playing with the bands that you played with and then suddenly you go into the solo career. Well, it started because uh, because
1: I did some gigs in Seattle. I started with Barry White. Then I was in my band Cold Bolden together playing mm. around. But I also did lots of other shows that came to town. I did... Um, uh, let's see, I played with Sammy Davis Jr. Mm. I played with, uh, uh, well, the Ice Capades would come to town, and they put together, I played the Ice Capades band. I was in the Seattle Seahawks band, you know, oh, the pep band. Yeah. So <laughs> lots of, I was working a lot. And so, you know, there was maybe four or five sax players in Seattle that would work, and so you everybody knew each other. Well, there was a guy in Portland, Oregon, that that had a band called the Jeff Lorber Fusions, a guy named Jeff Lorber. Jeff Lorber was a keyboard player, and he had a record deal with Clive Davis, for this band, he called the, that he was called the Jeff Lorber Fusion, and his sax player quit, and he needed a new sax player. He didn't like any of the sax players in Portland, Oregon. So he, now remember, there's no internet, no computers, so there's no way to look up guys. Yeah. So he had just heard my name somehow, and he somehow gets a message to me. I don't know how he could call me because you know we didn't have cell phones.
0: Maybe so he called a club or something. He or, might have called you know, my house or, or something. Right. I
1: don't know, but so I get a message that. Jeff Lorber. So I call him up. I, I don't know who Jeff Lorber is.
0: Uh, how can I know? <laughs> There's, I don't know anything. So. Portland to Seattle might as well be a million miles yeah. away in a lot of ways. So though. I
1: went to a record store. I've read to a record store. That's, that in <laughs> itself is crazy. <laughs> that statement
0: right there. Dates and, everything.
1: And I said, do you guys have any records by this guy named Jeff Lorber? And they go, who? Jeff Lorber? So they start looking. Oh, yeah. here's a. So I take the record home. I put it on my record player and I play it and I listen to it and I go, I like this guy. He's kind of jazzy and he's funky. So he says, why don't you come down and audition for my band? So I drove down to Portland, auditioned, and he liked me, and that's how I got the job. So five years of playing with Jeff Lorber. As his sax player, I guess touring around, touring and, around, yeah. touring around like driving a van around the country, which we did, and I loved it. I made like a hundred bucks a week, and it, it wasn't about the money, but that's paying yeah. your dues, yeah. man. Yeah, And I didn't have a girlfriend, <laughs> right? so I could do whatever I wanted. Well, Stanley was right, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then and then so going to New York, you know, time after time, Clive Davis would watch his his artist Jeff Lorber. Well, his artist Jeff Lorber had a sax player that would stand out and play solos all the time, which was me, and then. Five years later, Clive Davis says, Hey, um, would you be
0: interested in a solo career? Hmm. And that's how I got my solo Interesting. career. Yeah. So Clive kind of had the foresight to think this guy could do something. Yeah. Because instrumental saxophone, I guess, kind of smooth jazz stuff, it's not the most, at the time, was not like the, no. there's not a lot of guys doing that.
1: Well, there was no word of smoke called smooth jazz at the time. Oh. Smooth jazz started in 19, I, I should know, I, I pretty much started it. <laughs> it started in 1986. Like, wow. We're talking about like 19, 81 82 so in 1982 he's just thinking I he's watching me play with Jeff Lorber people are reacting to the way I play I'm enjoying myself and they said would you want to make your own record so sure so Jeff Lorber then produced my first record and It ended up honestly sounding like a Jeff Lorber record Mm -hmm. which was okay But I kind of wanted to just kind of do something that was me So I quit Jeff Lorber after that was a big step and he was super mad Mm. super mad at me um, he was hurt more. I, mean, I think he was hurt more than Matt. Yeah, yeah. Came across as anger. But most of the time, anger is really just kind of hurt. Well, plus, he's losing his star player well, kind of thing, yeah, too, right? maybe that was it. But I think it was more that he was just kind of like, a, he was more of a mentor. And then I'm saying, listen, bro, I, I need to get out and do my own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't want you to produce my records anymore. Yeah. So anyway, I did my own uh, second record, and it w- it was actually pretty successful. The first record sold like forty thousand, mm-hmm. and the second record sold like two hundred and fifty thousand. But so back in those days, yeah. so then we're doing well, and then so the third record only sold another like fifty thousand, and then, then so now I'm, i but the thing that that was cool was that Clive Davis and the Arista Records stuck by me, even though I w- they weren't making any money. The, they, not that they were giving me a ton of money to make the records, but by the time the record costs and all that stuff was was incurred, there wasn't a lot of profit. So they weren't making money, and yet they stuck with me. They didn't drop me. Mm-hmm. So the fourth record comes around, and now they get this big idea. Again, there's no smooth jazz yet. This is still like 1985. There's no ra- radio stations playing instrumental music. It's Here's what you have. You have... Black Station's playing R&B music and at midnight they changed the format to what's called Quiet Storm. Quiet Storm was the format where they would play softer mm-hmm. R&B, <laughs> which they would include some instrumental music of guys like Grover Washington Jr. and they would play some of my music because it was it had like good grooves but it wasn't too jazzy for mm-hmm. their yeah, listeners. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay, so that was the really the only options. So then the, the Arista Records gets this idea that I need to play and make an album of R&B music with with singers and sax solos, so a bunch of singers, and I and I go, you know, what is that? Everybody's gonna think I'm the singer. Well, that's the only way we can get you radio airplay. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't like it at all. Uh, and I had already written a whole bunch of instrumentals, one of them being the song "Songbird." I wrote it, and so I played them the music I wanted to put out, and they go, "No, no, no, we need to, we need to, we need to make music that f- the 15 year old g- kids in the ghetto can groove to." Those were his words. Not Clive. It was his guy. Yeah. And I looked at him. I go, you realize I'm Jewish and I'm from Seattle. <laughs> what do I know about fifteen year old kids <laughs> in the, the ghetto? ghetto? Come on, seriously. Let's be. Let's be like, like uh, you know. Not, I don't want to be a hypocrite here. Mm-hmm. I said. And I said, guess what? Let's let's just part ways. I said to them, let's part ways. I'm going to go find a record deal somewhere else. This isn't working out. I don't want to do that kind of record. So they said, look, why don't you just go to San Francisco and work with this guy named Nerada Michael Walden and, we, and do a song that Junior Walker did called What Does It Take to Win Your Love? And it's, a, it's an R&B vocal, but it's half sax. I listened to the song and go, well, you know, I could do that. So I did that, made the record, finished the record. That's the single. It comes out and starts to do really well. And we've sold like three or four hundred thousand records. Mm-hmm. and Everybody's super excited about this record. I'm not. Yeah because it's like it's not your tune it's not your thing yeah, not my thing at all and so finally uh, I get a shot on the Johnny Carson show wow because I had a manager I sought out this manager I said he was George Benson's manager and George Benson was the most successful instrumentalist of all time guitar player yeah guitar player sold 3 million records he's a superstar so I said man he's an instrumentalist I want his manager, so I went and found his manager. I said, "Would you manage me?" He goes, "Who are you?" <laughs> I said, "Well, you know, come watch me play." And so he comes to watch me play. He goes, "Okay, I, I want to manage you." I said, "But, but," bro, I said, "Bro, I got no money." He goes, "Ah, I, you'll pay me later. We'll work it out." So he manages me for free, and he gets me a shot on the Johnny Carson show. So I'm on Johnny Carson, getting ready to play, and I'm supposed to play the single. So I have a singer. He's sitting there waiting to go on, and they said, "Well, you know, you do your single, but then." way at the end of the show we let you do your instrumental i said okay, i'm gonna do this song called songbird great we and they said we don't care honestly it's yeah. we're gonna be we're going to credits we're going off the it's air like right 20 out. seconds 20 seconds of, yeah, of it yeah so then the the curtain's about to go up and they come back and say listen sorry you only you only do the one song we're running late so you're not gonna do your second song so do it okay now i've got about about a minute i look to the guys i go don't play sorry i said look at the singer i said bro Sorry, man. This is my. It's my show. I we're gonna do the instrumental. We're gonna do it. You're gonna do that. Don't don't pay attention to whatever they said. Play Songbird, and this is
0: live TV. Yeah. So
1: no no. Remember you know the wardrobe malfunction five minute thing. Yeah. That didn't exist then. Didn't happen then.
0: There's no uh, seven second delay.
1: No swear or whatever. And and
0: because people didn't swear then. It wasn't Mm -hmm. it wasn't
1: part of the you know you were no
0: so let me ask you who's yeah. in your band at this point in time do you, like, do you, not names wise but do you have uh, is it another saxophone player or no, it's I just you keyboard okay you know uh, uh, guitar
1: drums bass that's it okay so you're telling the boys like we're doing yeah, songs, yeah. Or, yeah. And, we they, and they're just my guys we've yeah, been playing yeah, together yeah. while. Yeah. curtain goes up by the way I'd never been on TV before never so I don't even know what to expect I'm thinking there must be an audience now since the rehearsal <laughs> curtain goes up all I see is lights, cameras. I can't see any people back there. It's just this weird vibe. Like, I've never done it before. It's like, oh, man, this sucks. Oh, I gosh. hate this look, but whatever. <laughs> and, okay, so the guys start playing Songbird, and the guy that hired me, I see his face. He's, like, behind one of the cameras, like, looking at me like, what the like, F are you doing? And he's, like, holding his fist up in the air, like, shaking his fist at me, he gives me the finger. While I'm playing this beautiful instrumental, he's giving this thing, he's giving me you know, like like when they cut you off on the song, they they're they he's go that, the throat, slice in the throat slice the throat thing and he's doing this. So I finished playing Songbird and I played great. I thought I really played. Really, you know, I was so happy with it. I looked over at Johnny Carson. He kind of gives me an okay sign. He's oblivious to all of this stuff. Yeah, he, he doesn't, doesn't know what's going doesn't on. Doesn't even know who I am, probably. They probably say, eh, some kid's playing or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I get backstage and the guy runs back in my room and he goes, how dare you take advantage of this opportunity? We don't, we don't put instrumentalists on this. We only did it because your manager forced us and now you make me look stupid and blah, blah, blah. And, okay, you're never working in this town again. The same thing. You'll never be on the show again and that's the end of that, blah, blah, blah. And I said to him, I said, listen, I'm so sorry, but it was my one shot. I mean, I've been watching Johnny Carson since I was a kid. Yeah. I have to do that. That's my. I mean, I got to play my sax. He goes, well, whatever. And so the so then that was a Friday. So Monday morning, I get a call from Clive. I'm going gulp. Oh no, I didn't support the band. The single, he goes, you know, Kenny, he goes, Kenny, you know, uh, we were talking in the office and uh, we've decided to switch singles to, this, to the instrumental. It's getting great feedback. Wow! I went. Holy
0: crap! <laughs> awesome.
1: So they they uh, now songbird is the single and it becomes a big huge hit. But dude, just the balls hit. that you had I to know. do that split second decision. Yeah. I, I I don't think I could do that today.
0: Right? Yeah. I, I don't think I could because you were young and yeah, and dumb nothing and to lose. Crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. You know, I did the Tonight Show once with uh, with Jay Leno, and same thing as you. I've been watching since I was a kid. Yeah. Carson's one of my heroes. And I only had like a, I think it was a five minute spot. Yeah. But I was like, I'm just going to keep talking. I'm not going to let him get the chance to, to cut me off. And of course, I'm telling fun stories. And I got the green. You know, I don't know how to do it. Like, like you, like you just said, you know how to perform. Yeah. yeah. They ended up giving me nine minutes because it went so good. But good. I was like the, bo- like was, I'm just going for it. Yeah. I'm not waiting. Well, I'm you taking- have a, you have a good personality, so I could see why they would it want worked. you to do it. Yeah. yeah but like you said, like, I, this is my chance, and I got to take it. Yeah. If I don't try. I could just fall by the wayside and I'll never be here again. I'm sure you've done the Tonight Show dozens of times oh, since then. They they asked me back six months later, same guy, <laughs> and I got to I got couch. I sat and actually
1: oh, talked to Johnny Carson. <laughs> yeah, I sat right next to Doc Severinsen. Oh wow! And it was the coolest thing because I mean Doc Severinsen yeah. like a hero. And then uh, they were going to commercial, and and they and they uh, they started playing this this very famous jazz tune called Killer Joe. If you're a jazz player, you know what song mm-hmm. Killer Joe is. And then they start playing it. And I recognize it. And Doc Severinsen says. Go ahead, Kenny. Take a take us out, and I started playing the tune. It was like, whoa! I, like, I can't believe this is happening
0: to me. It was the coolest thing because because yeah, Doc obviously a famous trumpet player. Yeah. The instrumental. Yeah, you're, you're talking about guys like Herb Albert and uh, yeah. Chuck, Mangione. Chuck there, Mangione. There was that element in the kind of '70s, but like you mentioned in the '80s, yeah. there wasn't. Well, Chuck Mangione had that hit "Feel So
1: Good," and mm. that was. It was a, it was a theme for one of the Olympics. I'm thinking I, I'm remembering that right. I remember hearing that song, and th- there was very few instrumental hits. Very few over the days. There was Chuck Mangione's song "Feel So Good." There was a band called Spyro Gyra. Yeah. They did a song called "Morning Dance," mm-hmm. and the and they always say when you once you have an instrumental hit, it's the kiss of death. Your career's over after that. You get one and that's it. So after "Songbird" became a hit, the the questions I got was, well, you know, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for you, right? I go. <laughs> I don't see why. Well, what are you going to do next? I go, I don't know. I I just wrote. I wrote. I didn't write "Songbird" to be a hit. I just wrote a, What I I'm just going to write another instrumental. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So I wrote another one, and it did. It was a hit too. So I, I broke the spell. See, and the thing is, there's a couple things one that you mentioned that something that doesn't happen a lot of building an artist like you mentioned Clive giving you you know three four records to go because you look back at you know you're talking about Metallica or The Stones yeah. or ACDC or any of you really big rock band were yeah. given you two given two three four chances yeah it's not like that now no. one album you're done that's right so the chan- the fact you got to build that and build your fan base was, was a pretty cool thing on Clive's part
1: I was really happy that they stuck with me and uh, I'm glad that I mean, but they also knew that I wasn't going to Just sit there and let them tell me what to do. I mean, even Clive and I, we've had, we have a great relationship. Uh, But even after that, it was Clive would throw songs at me and I didn't like them. And he would always say to me, listen, man, you got to listen to me. I know what's best for you. I said, Clive, you know, yes, but I'm not doing that. He goes, yes, but you know, you have to trust me. I said, okay, where are we compromising, Clive? Mm-hmm. Okay, if you want me to trust you on this, then I need to have that. And we would work out these things and it, would, and it was okay. What were some of the suggestions? Vocalists or other
0: people's songs or? He
1: would, uh, he always wanted, he said that you, you never wanted to give an album of too much of what they expect. So they would expect more songs like My Songbird. And so I, they, he says, you don't want an album like that. You want to have different things. So we need to put some vocals in there. I said, OK, but but there's got to be the right vocals. I said, Clive, get Whitney Houston to sing on one of on, them. Mm. He goes, I can't get Whitney. Uh, so then he says, but uh, how about Toni Braxton? And she was an unknown. I go, let me let me hear her. Oh, yeah, I like her. She's good. So she sang on something Aaron Neville sang on a song. We did. Um, so you're working
0: with very soulful singers. Very
1: soulful. It was always it was always R and B To stuff. match, yeah. yeah. Did to you ever match. work
0: with Whitney at all?
1: I did. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. I played on uh, one of her songs on one of her records. I was on her 80 1987 tour. Mm. I was a really? opening act. Yeah. Oh no kidding. Yeah. Okay. We did like 50 shows. Wow. Yeah, yeah. She was. You know, I don't say this with any disrespect. She wasn't a great performer. I mean, everybody that went. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying she. She didn't. Say, she sounded amazing. But I'm saying visually, if you mm-hmm. watched her, it wasn't like she put on a a, a, a show that that visually went. You made you go wow. But she sounded amazing. And maybe so, that's why, because she was concentrating on her vocal, which there's you know, not a lot of room for moving around. I singing. prefer that myself. Yeah. I just I don't really care about the visual as much. But but um, I just remember the tour not being any. It wasn't. It wasn't a big deal. But. I remember sitting in with her one night. She asked me to to do a duet with her on this one song, and it was great, and I loved it. And I just wanted to do it every night, but it was only
0: it only happened once. One invitation. It was awesome, though. One of the best natural singing voices probably ever, I think, Whitney. I
1: know? think so. Yeah. Yeah, I liked her voice better than any other. And I think she's my favorite of all time. Mm-hmm. Celine Dion's close second. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's She's got an amazing voice. And I played on one of her records, too. Really? Yeah. I knew Celine before she was she was a big star. She used to open for Michael Bolton, okay. and Bolton and I did a whole bunch of gigs together. So, I knew Celine pretty well. And on one of her earlier records, I before she became really famous, they had asked me if I would play a solo for her. And I remember her being super excited about me playing a solo. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking now. I don't think she'd be quite as excited (laughs)
0: about it now, but she was then. I I actually remember when you first broke onto the scene in the 80s, I was like in junior high school or high school or whatever it was, but I remember the, the man with the curly hair playing the sax and what a sensation you were even to the mainstream rock guys like me. I want to talk about those early days, but before we do, I want to take care of another great TIJ sponsor Kenny you like to laugh right well I like to laugh as well and CISO is the place for the most hilarious comedy shows of all time now they won't tell you what a cool app they are they're humble that way so I'm going to tell you how cool CISO is not only do they offer tons of comedy programming for your viewing pleasure which we'll talk about in a second CISO is also only $3.99 a month Crazy, right? $3.99 a month to get unlimited laughs on everything from comedy classics, stand-up specials, original series, and all your favorite late night and TV shows. I'm talking ad-free, bingeable, watch anytime, anywhere comedy. It's CISO, spelled S-E-E-S-O, and like I was saying, they've got all your faves like every episode of SNL ever. Great stuff, including new episodes the day after they air. Go check out the John Cena episode. Cecil's also got The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. And classics like 30 Rock, Parks and Recreation, Saved by the Bell. Shout out to Talk is Jericho alumni, Dennis Haskins, Mr. Belding himself. Cecil's also got the entire Monty Python catalog, which I love. Great stand-up specials from Amy Schumer Louis C.K. They're also doing their own original stuff, Hidden America with Jonah Ray. A comedy travel show where the places are real. But the people are not. Like I said, all commercial free people. So get in on this action. If you do it right now, do it right now. You can try CISO free for two months by using the promo code podcast1 at checkout. Just go to CISO.com. That's S-E-E-S-O.com and sign up for two months free with the promo code podcast1 at checkout. That's CISO.com promo code podcast1 go do it now you want to laugh you like to laugh <laughs> I love to laugh go to seeso.com and check it out I remember when you kind of broke into the scene because being a, it was a big music fan in the 80s I was more of a rock guy but yeah. Kenny G very easy name to remember yeah. what is your real last name Gorlick Gorlick okay yeah. so not the most rock and roll no. show business of names no. but by just going to G once again it's, it's a very memorable thing and if then, I had a last name like Jericho, I wouldn't have changed it. <laughs> well, the thing is, my <laughs> real last name is not Jericho; it's <laughs> Irvin. Oh, so that's Irvin's not going to really sell no, a lot of tickets Jericho's either. Awesome, so Jericho yeah. and G, we got it. Right, we, got we got it. We got it. So and then, of course, <laughs> we mentioned earlier, your hair was very much of a yeah. trademark. So you, when you were, so when you're talking about touring in the '80s, and the '80s very decadent uh, time frame for, Yeah. For some, was it the same for for a saxophone player going on the road? It could, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was there was a lot of stuff out there that right. that could have been you know
1: had and. Uh, and we were young too. So like we were in our, gosh, we were let's see, twenties. Uh, yeah, we late twenties, early thirties. So w- you know, we had a we had a young audience too. So it wasn't like like now when we go out and play, we have an older audience. Mm-hmm. But they grew up with us. So back in the day, we were a, it was a bunch of young people out there, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. and they loved us just like they would love a, a Metallica show. But not quite as crazy <laughs> as well, as that, but. Um, it was great, though. We we um, used to play like 120, 130 shows a year, and then, then I had kids, and I cut that back. Right. And then I just didn't play as many, and now that my kids are gone, I'm I'm open to playing more shows, but it's not as easy to play as many shows these days. As and We, we were said, just talking right. a little bit earlier about it's that. so much about touring now for bands that everybody's out on the road. Gosh. Yeah, there's so much going on. There's so many shows. There's so many people making records. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard. it really mm. is. it's hard to I'm I'm glad I have a name established because sure
0: but to start over and start to get established now would be I think it would be really tough. you know selling you know 70 million records or whatever it may yeah. be. Will there be an artist that does that ever again? No, I don't think any artist ever it yeah. not
1: necessarily instrumentalist. it's right. yeah, the times are yeah because you know I like the new era in some ways. I like it because with the touch of a button, Everybody can hear your music mm-hmm. and you don't have to leave the house. Mm-hmm. You know, you, have, you can have a hundred million people watch you play. I get that. But I, I miss the fact that there's no, the, the mystery of an artist. I miss that. Because everybody knows too much about everybody now. Right. You're easily accessible. And before, if I wanted to see, let's say I wanted to see Earth, Wind & Fire... I have to go to an Earth, Wind and Fire concert. I have to go there so I could see their see their bodies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't. There's no video of them. Yeah, I couldn't see a video because we didn't have video. Right. You couldn't YouTube anything. There wasn't YouTube. You couldn't look up anything. You had to go to a show, and if you wanted to hear their music, you had to buy their yeah. music, and that's the only way you could get it. I, I miss those days for that for that part of it. And I'm, not, I'm not talking about from the money stance. Mm. I'm talking about from the mystique. From mystique, yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, it's, you know, if you want to find out what the set list is. You can look it up online. Yeah. All that. So I used to love going to the show and yeah. like, what's the next song going to be? Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't. I try and have the willpower. I'm not going to read the set list this time. I do it every time. You know, yeah. I, I want to know what the band is going to play. And I'm excited. They're playing this obscure song. Or they're playing this here. I like to know before I even go, before you'd be waiting to hear yeah. that song and it would be so much more of a surprise. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm embracing all the new technology mm-hmm. as well. Even though I say
1: I wish it wasn't here. I do wish you it wasn't you. here, but, I, but but it is, and so I do embrace it. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I don't like having my iPhone around, but I always carry it with me. I actually <laughs> right now. and Good. if you don't have it with you feel straight oh, it's right it there is. we see yeah. it and i don't and i don't like the fact that i'm carrying it all the time mm. i don't fa- like the fact that that when it buzzes i immediately check and see what yeah. message come in because i'm excited to see the message but i was thinking what did i do before this let me see i was what would i do i'd just be sitting kind of waiting yeah right. like what if i was standing <laughs> in a line what would i be doing st- if i was standing in a line now i just i'm busy checking phone. messages I would just be kind of looking around. Yeah. And what would I? I might I actually might talk to somebody. And
0: <laughs> heaven forbid. I
1: might have some thoughts. I might be daydreaming about something, but those <laughs> yeah. days
0: are over. <laughs> and like stopping at a red light, you're checking your phone. Or, oh, I or know. Or even on the plane now with Wi Fi. It's like if I, when I go over to like England or something, yeah. you can't have it over the water. I'm going crazy. Six hours with no phone. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like yeah. How, how nuts is that? And
1: right? I love it because there's no, I have no, um, there's no excuse now I mean Mm -hmm. uh, uh, because if if I if I have a no if I have an opportunity to check my messages I feel like I should if I can't I'm free. Yeah. Oh, I, everybody, whoever's trying to get a hold of me. Sorry, I, mm-hmm. I was flying over to Asia. Yeah. I, but but I think they even have it now. Wi-Fi international now. I think you're know, oh. talking about going to China.
0: Oh, I don't like that. Back from China. Now, let's talk about China. It's it's funny. We'll, we'll tell the story in a couple of seconds. But you're massive. Yeah. In China. Massive. How does how does you know the Jewish <laughs> dude from Seattle playing alto sax get massive in China of all Gosh. places? You know uh,
1: I don't, I don't know. Big, I guess what happens is you just... I've gone to Asia a lot. I just kept going back. Play but one of my songs got really popular there. What one song, song called Going Home. Going Home. It's... I don't know why and how, but it did. Somehow it got into... Honestly, it's as popular as Happy Birthday. Happy Birthday in the States. My song, Going Home in China. It's as well known as that. Really? Every, everybody knows my song, Going Home.
0: Is this something that they play? I, I've heard they play it like at the end of the day. Yeah. Or, it's like so. It's like the anthem of the work is over, sort of thing. Pretty
1: much. It's a yeah. And,
0: but I mean, at the end of the day, everywhere, a
1: department store is closing. There's played. Uh, Tenement Square is played. A Forbidden City played. Um, on the trains played. In bathrooms played. <laughs> I mean, you, whatever they anywhere everywhere at four o'clock in the afternoon, you hear my song played, and everybody goes hmm it's time to go home so I don't know how it started that way but it's it's such a popular song when I was in China just uh, last couple of weeks like I would go down to the hotel um restaurant to have whatever breakfast because i always really like the uh, breakfast buffets they have in asia they're awesome (laughs) folks if you can ever go i mean there's the noodle station they sometimes they have a sushi station they've got like a a a dim sum station (laughs) Well, yeah they got the eggs they got they got waffles they got all the stuff but they have all these other things so i'm sitting there eating and all of a sudden i hear my song come up and i look up and the waitresses are are, are, are they're snickering over there they're kind of Mm -hmm. pointing they're waving at me And it keeps playing they just keep repeating it it must have played like 30 times while i'm having breakfast i'm going i gotta leave so people don't have to get sick of this song
0: (laughs) i'm sick of it right you know
1: (laughs) uh but it's 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 one of those things it's it's a phenomenon Um, when did you first hear about it i've known about it for 20 years but uh someone just say hey man you're not gonna believe this like i heard somebody I think what happened was I heard, actually was there and I heard it. I was in a, I was in an obscure bathroom hmm. in the middle of some tiny little place. And I was playing golf somewhere. I was I was there doing something and I I had a golf outing, and so I was I mean not in a major city somewhere way out in the middle of nowhere. This and I'm is in China. In China, hmm. and I'm in the bathroom and I hear the song. I go, Wow, that's my song, Going Home. Hmm. And I asked about it they go, "Oh yeah, it's very popular here." I said, "What do you mean?" "Oh yeah, everybody plays it." And then I started to realize that how popular it is. The problem is that I don't I didn't get any royalties on it. <laughs> so I said I said to some of my business associates over there that I said, "So, how many records do you think I've sold in China?" I said, "I don't know." They said, "Maybe somewhere around 150 million." I said, "Wait, you mean 150,000? No, 150 million?" What I said, you're my record company. Why aren't you collecting the royalties? Can't it doesn't work that way? What, what do you Why It's that's just they're all pirated. Oh. And when I say sold, I mean like, well, so when you go on the streets and uh, you can go to the markets, mm-hmm. like I went to the market, I said, I want to buy a Kenny G record, they don't know my face. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at least then, so I bought one 90 cents,
0: hmm.
1: I took it home. I opened it up, played it. It was it was a music of it was a guitar player's album inside of a case that had my oh, my stuff yeah. on it. Wow, that's what they do. Really? Yeah. That well, I don't know if they still do it, but yeah. it's pretty much. Yeah, it's as far as royalties are concerned.
0: It's. I've heard us like that in South America too, where it's yeah, just a lot of just bootlegs, it, bootlegs. Yeah, pirates. lots of bootlegs and pirates. Yeah. But so when you go to China though and play live, people yeah. are coming to your show, they're that's coming to my getting, show. Yeah, getting paid on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I save going home toward the end of the set. Obviously, <laughs> I always say to them, "We're going to play a very special song to you for you right now, but please, we have more music we have some songs after this. So don't go home." <laughs> and then they go, "Oh," and they got to do. I can feel. And then we play it. and I'm looking anybody don't, don't. And, then, yeah. and then you know you, you know like 20 or 30 people just get up and start walking just out just have it they just have, to have like it they to go
0: yeah, Pavlovian response <laughs> they don't,
1: they don't, I, we got more stuff to play don't you wanna hear it
0: no <laughs> so what was, what was China like 20 years ago when you first started going there cause there's been a lot of advances over the last 4, 5, 6 years but yeah. 20 years ago it was still communist China right? it
1: it's still, the still is yeah, yeah
0: not much has changed really oh, okay. oh yeah yeah they wanna know
1: your set list mm-hmm. uh, fortunately for me I'm an instrumentalist so I serve no I, I pose no problem you know, no no lyrics that could wow, you know, okay. be something that the government doesn't want their their citizens to hear. Even song title wise, everything's cool. Everything's cool. Okay, yeah. Um, so, but they want to know, and then I give my song titles, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. But the but it's China very interesting. Uh, we played um, a few years ago. We were playing a concert. Can't remember which city. Big storm outside. Huge storm. And we're playing. And I'm in the middle of the set. Our set's like an hour and 45 to two hours long. We're like not even an hour into the set. And I'm playing one of my songs, playing one of my solos. And, you know, you know, you're, we all have peripheral vision. So my peripheral vision, I feel like somebody's walking towards me on the stage, which is unusual because my guys are all playing their instruments. Nobody's going to be walking towards me. So I'm playing, and I so now I look to where my vision, and there's a lady in a uniform walking towards me. And I'm playing. I'm in mid note, and I'm still playing. She whispers into my ear. She goes, uh, "Weather outside very bad. Government would like show to be over now." And I wow. looked at, and, and I'm playing, and I nodded, and I said, "Okay." And so, we ended the show, and everybody was going home. See you and later, yeah. you know what? I thought. I thought in a, in a way that's that's actually really kind of in a way very comforting Mm -hmm. they cared about people yeah yeah, yeah. it wasn't that they wanted to do anything except care about their people so i like that a lot
0: you know we did china for the first time in 2010 in shanghai and um list of rules no i can't remember what it was but no punching no choking no you know we're all show business anyways yeah those moves were banned nothing on the floor yeah no flying outside onto the floor oh oh, yeah and we were told it's a sold-out show yeah and when i remember walking to the the ring which is in the middle of this big hall and there's nobody in there mm. and i'm like how how is this sold out there's like pockets of people here and there was a table with some dignitaries with like that bunting that you see like you know in a james bond oh. movie where the officials man and then the upper deck was was jam packed oh what happened was the government bought all the tickets and only gave out a fraction of them cuz they were afraid that people would riot yeah if too they saw many people they didn't around like yeah, yeah because it's a violent show mm. and still not understanding that it's yeah. a show. Mm. We went back a couple of weeks ago and it was a whole different vibe. The people oh. knew it was going on. Yeah. There was no rules. They were involved in the show. So there's been an advancement, at least their understanding of what we do, Yeah, different from before.
1: Uh, I think musically, it's not much has changed. And, 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 you, and you accept the rules. This is their country. That's right. I always think when I'm going over there, I'm not going over there to change anything. Uh, it's their rules. So yeah. if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. Yeah, and and it. we we just abide by it. You know, Some nights... They allow me to sell CDs after the shows, and some nights they don't. Hmm. So why not? Well, because they're afraid of security. Yeah, yeah. I said, okay. Uh, is there any way around it? No. Okay. <laughs> D- All right. All right. I said, is there? Is there I, I mean, I don't mind pushing. I'll keep pushing to see if I can get my way. But ultimately, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you can't change the yeah. rules. You know. I, I like going over there. People are—they're super excited to see, mm-hmm. you know, performers from the West, which they don't see a lot of right. because there's there's a big filtering process. You know, I'm, I'm some performers don't get to play there right. if they've ever, you know, if they're ever seen in the wrong light, and the
0: government doesn't think that they want them over, they don't come over. That's their yes. That's their prerogative. Which is so, and it's so funny because we just happened. We've met today for the first yeah. time and realized that we were over in China at the same time, staying at the same hotel, yeah. at the Marriott over same there. Same hotel, at the Which same night. Which is so funny, man. I'm so, like, you know, you did run into some of our guys. Yeah. But it's just like, what a crazy thing. We were in the same hotel on the same night. I saw one of your wrestlers. Do you have women wrestlers, too? Yeah.
1: Okay, I saw one of them at breakfast. Oh, really? She was uh, super in shape. She was, like, had some, come up some tattoos. She was wearing some sort of very, very... Leotardish kind of thing uh, Wrestling type And I I think I went up to her And said something like uh, You must be part of The wrestling thing And she
0: just kind of Looked at me Didn't say anything back But Whatever But really? <laughs> well, I knew I knew that it was, I What color hair did she have I wonder was She was it short black hair Short black hair I'm wondering Trying to figure out Who it was I was trying to think it was over there. Charlotte was over there. Are there any, do you have any Asian uh, wrestlers? We we might have. I can't, I'm trying to remember. Like I said, this tour was really crazy, but yeah. I know you met John Laurinaitis. Yes, I met him. Yeah, he was kind of yeah. running the show. But that's so funny. Like, what a small world, right? Just randomly in the same place. At the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, um, one of my friends over there runs a uh, AEG.
1: His mm. name's Adam Wilkes. The live, 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 yeah, and event. they were putting on your event. Oh, okay. So I had dinner with him the night before, and he says, "Hey, I'm coming over to your hotel to talk to the wrestling guys at noon. Um, let's let's meet up too." I said, "Oh, okay." Well, I said, what's going on? Oh, yeah, they're doing something at the Mercedes-Benz Arena. Yeah. I said, oh, cool. So it was like all connected in a weird way. Have you ever had any
0: of those random meetings on the road over the years where you run into somebody that's different that you wouldn't expect?
1: Yeah, I ran into, um, I don't know if you're much into golf, uh, Mm
0: -hmm. but if if you're- You're a big golfer. I like, yeah. Yeah. uh,
1: There's the most famous name in golf as terms of putters is a guy named Scotty Cameron. Mm -hmm. Scotty Cameron- when you name it when you name Scotty Cameron he is like the divine entity when it comes to putters he right. makes the best putters in the world so and i know Scotty Cameron he's a, he's he's a friend of mine mm-hmm. and i was in tokyo and i was i took the i was at the park hyatt hotel and the elevator comes down and you're on the 41st floor that's where the lobby is i get down there as i'm walking there's a guy sitting i just I right Scotty Cameron sitting right there <laughs> said, "What the heck are you doing in Tokyo?" <laughs> he looks at me like, well, we should." not So he's very popular there because his putters are super right uh, sought after, and so he's doing some special private thing that mm-hmm. he's doing. And, that's, and I was doing my show there, and it was cool.
0: Running into yeah. in the lobby out of yeah. nowhere. <laughs> so if you're talking about like a, like a, like if you're touring a lot and a singer, if you get you know a sore throat, it hurts you. If, if you're a guitar player and maybe your, your fingers are getting some arthritis, or something for, for a sax player. Has there ever been times when, like, you start feeling sick on the road? Is there something that happens where it's hard harder for you to play? Um, well, it would be
1: hard if I had a big, a big stomachache. No. that would be very tough because you know I just feel nauseous. But right, I, I'm. You know what I do? I just eat the same thing every day. And I don't get sick on the road. That's what I do. I have sushi at 2 o'clock.
0: But if you have, like, a, like let's say you get sick and you get a sore throat, does that affect your No. Saxophone? Okay, it's nothing. No, it just affects when I talk. Right, right, I yeah. go, oh, stop talking, keep playing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually, like, a, a pretty good instrument yeah. to not... There's really no reason that you couldn't play up to, up to par. Yeah, and I can play show day after day. Like,
1: singers right. usually have to... Maybe they do two shows and they have to take a day or two break yeah. for their show, and no, I don't. We can play... We, we can play two shows a night, 10 nights in a row if we have to. So
0: you never get tired, or I guess as long as you have wind in your lungs, yeah. you can do it, right? No problem. It's just the, it's the travel that's hard.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. We we on the road say that we don't get paid for our we don't get paid to play we
0: get paid to travel. That's what I don't know if you can Cooper say that too. Is yeah. that Alice what he Cooper, says. Yeah, like, okay, I so I that's get, where I came from. I don't get paid for the show, I get paid for the 22 and a half hours it takes to get to the that's show. That's right. We do the show for free. Yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I mean and that and that's part of uh, of the of the touring life. I mean, do you enjoy being on the road? I do. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. You know, um uh, all the guys now we've been playing together 25 30 Same years. Band? Same band.
1: Wow. So we all, you know, it's a big, big brotherhood yeah, out there a bunch of dudes we, we, hanging out. we love each other and it's we know each other mm-hmm. it's fun mm-hmm. it really is fun the uh, the hard part is when we have a bad logistical sure. group of dates together yeah, and yeah. and you know it's funny because we start with a blank page and you think you should be able to do it and make it right and it's venue availability and so sometimes mm-hmm. you're find yourself backtracking
0: and some, it's it's weird. Some of the tours we get put on sometimes in Europe, we call them the Star of David tour Oh. because it's north, south, east, west. It's like you're making the Star of David That's from right all the gigs that you're doing. Say, so, yeah. why well, can't we just start here and drive two hours there instead of driving eight hours and then ten hours back? That's the same right. Place, because
1: the, the the hall wasn't available that next right. day. Right, right, right. That's exactly, what happens. Exactly. Yeah. I,
0: I was I was looking at something, and you're talking about your your, your wind control and your mm. and your, and your lungs. Uh, the longest note of yeah, all time note? in the Guinness Book of World on Records? the sax on the saxophone.
1: I think somebody on a clarinet beat me. i I heard. That's son of a bitch <laughs> I know I've got, to, I've got to go back and get them we'll destroy them I will, I will. I'm will. i waiting see I'm, I, it's, it's such a promotional stunt mm-hmm. to do that i got to wait till I have something to promote I could go do it tomorrow and probably I mean my plan would be to beat the one and a half hours on the clarinet I would do it on my sax then so I, I think I can do it how long was the note that you 45 played? minutes
0: a 45 minute continuous like mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. how do you do that
1: you have to breathe at the same time through your nose through your nose but you're still exhaling. You can't stop exhaling.
0: I don't even know how you can I'm trying to do that right it's, now. Like, it's
1: you use your cheek muscles. You use your mu- air in your cheeks. And wow. breathe at the same time. Yeah. So a clarinet did an hour and a half? I guess so. I heard that anyway. I don't know. I didn't really research. I just heard it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even just playing a note for four five minutes, it must be kind of boring after. You, Super boring. Got to go like into torture mentality yeah. where you, your mind's in another place. That's exactly
1: right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's really, really boring. <laughs> um, but I'm going to try to do it. So I'll wait till I come out with a new CD, or um, when uh, probably next year sometime, and then we'll hopefully like that'll be the big launch. Will be me breaking the record. And <laughs> but I need to actually feel like I want to do something while I'm breaking it to keep my interest going. Like I would like to. I don't know. I always thought I could be on a flight that was like an hour and a half flight. Oh. The problem is that I'm up at altitude, so there's less there's, less air, yeah. so yeah. it's going to be harder just in general Even to your do it. Ears pop or something. I mean, who mm-hmm. knows, right? Who knows? Maybe kick a soccer ball against the wall or something like that. Something, or just maybe I could walk. Maybe I could just keep walking. That would be. I'm sure I could do a better job if
0: I could keep walking. Or just keep keep yourself occupied. Yeah. Maybe walk, or maybe watch a watch a movie. Well, <laughs> yeah, but
1: the problem is that the Guinness people, if they're going to be there, they're 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 going to have their parameters, like they're. I think that you can't fluctuate things with the note. Like it can't get too loud or too soft. It has to be within some ranges of things. Because I asked them, I think when I was doing that, I said, can I just flutter? Can I, I mean, I'll continually be playing, mm-hmm. but could I change the note a little bit? Because my finger is going to get tired just holding my finger in that position for two hours. You know, mm-hmm. I got to hold a key down. Just put your hand in that position. And go like, well, shit, after a while, I got to let my finger go oh, and it won't right. go. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. so... Um, no, they said no, nope, no, nope, you can't. I said, well, can I just tape down the saxophone so that I'm not actually holding the the actual keys that I need to hold down? Just tape them down, and then I'll just it'll be the note I want to play. The note, yeah. Nope.
0: Oh.
1: So that was that was one of the hard things. Was my fingers were just getting really tired of like putting the pressure sure. on that key.
0: I love how there's so many rules for the longest saxophone. Like so many people have tried this, they have it down to a science. Where there's a list of rules. I know. <laughs> well, I'll do it again. I'm going I'm. I've got to have the longest. We were, you truck. heard it yeah, here. I'm Kenny's going to win it. He's going to get it. It's funny when I walked in here. Uh, something that you don't expect to see in uh, Kenny G's studio is an Amon Amarth DVD, a oh. Lamb of God DVD, a Megadeth, <laughs> Paul Gilbert. It's uh, some pretty heavy stuff over there. Yeah, it's my
1: son's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my son uses this room with his guitar playing. Uh, but you see the p- the picture there with me and Andrea Bocelli when we did a special in uh, Tuscany. It was his. His special. Oh, okay. David Foster was involved. David, there's David yeah, Foster. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting there. And uh, it was a
0: really fun night. So at least That's I got cool. some of my, so new, yeah, to your my stuff. stuff in there. When you're talking about your son playing guitar, I mean, he's, he's, he likes playing heavy music. Do you, do you understand that type of music at all? Do you ever listen to anything heavier or rocking? Like if someone wants to wind down... They'll put on a Kenny G. That's right. If you want to wind up, yeah. What you, do you put on?
1: Well, yeah, yeah. I, well, I <laughs> do put you do on. That? I put on my my old old school jazz. Oh, okay. it, I do that. Yeah, with the, with the up tempo bebop stuff. But I've been to um, I've been to a couple of Megadeth shows. I've been to an really? Opeth show because uh, my, my son wanted to sure. go, and and I'm his I'm his backstage pass. Uh. <laughs> I mean, I can go backstage pretty much any concert I want, right? Even <laughs> so, for the Megadeth show. Even right? the Megadeth show. It's like they what? Like I get there and like people are going, what are you doing here? And then everybody's like, it's, I'm like a novelty, and they everybody wants to take a picture <laughs> with me yeah. because like, why are you here? <laughs> Kenny G at the heavy metal show. So it was cool, but my, a lot of times I get these guys at the shows that go, "Hey man, my mom really likes your music. Can you take a picture with me so I can show my mom?" <laughs> sure. Do you appreciate the musicianship
0: in, in music? Like Absolutely, that? Yeah. yeah.
1: Because I, one thing about the heavy, heavy metal music that I like is the the, the shredding guitar players. Mm. You know, like an Eddie Van Halen. I don't know if he would consider, be considered heavy but, metal, but
0: but you, you know what I'm talking everybody about. Everybody in heavy yeah. metal, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: and and that's that's the kind of thing I like. As I and I was telling my son. You you should you need to be a master of your instrument. You can figure out songs and chords and power chords and all that kind of stuff. That will come, but you need to. My advice to you is practice and become like a virtuoso on the instrument, so you can just kind of you can play faster than anybody else and better than anybody else. And the songwriting and all the power chords and all that stuff that'll be super easy. Mm-hmm. And if you learn it now, it'll be easier to learn it now. So he um, he took my advice and he practiced uh, a lot. And he's 22 now, and he's awesome. I mean, he can wail on mm-hmm. that thing. He shreds. He's super fast, and um, and he's writing all his own music. So he's. Um, I, I think that he, I think he's going to do well. I think. He, I don't mean, is he going to become a famous guitar player? I, I don't see why he can't be. Mm-hmm. Like and you said, it's a different world. Than my name's not going to help him, by the right, way. Right, it, sure, yeah. it might help him in in the sense, it might a door might open, mm-hmm. but it won't make any difference. I mean, a door can open, but if you know if you're not good enough, it's just going to close. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but he, I, but he's good enough that he can. Right, he right, could right. be. A, he could be a, a super superstar. Just depends just on them. Right? Uh, you never know.
0: As as we get down to the last few questions, have you ever jammed with a, with a, with a band before? Like you know, like some like someone's playing Brown Sugar and you jump in and do the solo. No, no,
1: <laughs> no But I but I but I told I, I told the Megadeth guys. I told the Opeth guys. I said
0: guys, listen. There's no reason you can't have a sax solo in some of your music. You know that's absolutely right. You know it's funny because we're writing our new record right now. Our band is called Fuzzy. Yeah. And I was talking to my partner Rich Ward. And I was like, "Do we need to put a saxophone solo in one of our songs?" Is it heavy metal? Yeah. It's heavy great stuff. Yeah. Because like it's always, but it's it's not like super heavy. We're yeah. more of like if Journey and Metallica had a oh, bastard yeah. child. There you go. Like we need to have a sax solo because it's such a great instrument. And every time you hear a sax solo in a rock song, yeah. Like I said, Brown Sugar is one of the best examples. Yeah. Uh, it, it it just it it kills it. And it yeah. Changes just the vibe of the same old stuff over and yeah. over again you know i don't i don't see why more bands don't don't do that i don't you know I told the, the metal guys, said, "Listen, whatever shredding you're
1: doing, I can do on my sax. So if you wanted to actually, like, let's say you want to play a solo, and we want to do a duo, a duo solo mm-hmm. or playing together, I'll play the notes you're playing, wow. and it would be super cool. I mean, people would be impressed that all that sh- stuff is going on that you can shred yeah. on the sax. Yeah, it'd be fun. So anyway, I put it out there, but n- nothing's happened yet. I did get a call from uh, Warren G to do a, a rap song with him. So Katie we and Warren we G. did that on on um, Jimmy Kimmel, and that was <laughs> kind of cool,
0: huge, right? Yeah. That was cool. That went viral too. It was, it was easy
1: though. I mean, that was pretty." Uh, Fairly easy, because I just kind of just, I played the, the, like, I guess the actual song had another vocalist. Okay. And so I just played the other vocalist part on my sax, was pretty easy. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't really, do, I didn't really do much, but it was cool. Everybody thought it was it's a really just, cool Once thing. again,
0: it's, out, it's you outside of your box. Yeah. And him outside of his box On yeah. a sax player. Because, like I said, I think I think saxophone is the most underrated uh, instru- instrument in rock and roll. Music. I think so too. Especially when you deal with rock and roll started in the fifties, yeah. everyone had a sax player. Yeah, yeah, then. yeah, yeah. You know, just the way that kind of was.
1: There's some famous sax solos, man, in some of those old rock songs. Yeah, from I, the from those from the from
0: the area you're talking yeah. about. You know, talking about Fats domino type yeah. stuff and, and all that. So, have you ever watched Happy Days? Richie Cunningham was always on the. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: Yeah, the sax. So just uh, I want to ask you one uh, a couple more questions, but talking about uh, Starbucks Investor, one of the earliest Starbucks investors is you. Yes, because of the Seattle connection. Yeah. How was this brought? Did you just yeah. like say, "Oh"? Because who would have ever thought that a high-priced coffee shop would become the worldwide sensation that it is? Howard Schultz thought that you know the Explain. CEO. Well, okay. he
1: he's the one. He's the one that had the dream, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, he started in Seattle. And there was a one. There was one Starbucks there. He he took over the company and wanted to raise a bunch of money to go and sp- expand and and do this this dream that he had that he felt that it would be he always called it the third place like there's the home the workplace he said there was the third place that was missing in in the at least in America like a place to hang out yeah he said he saw it in Europe, like he said that he went to Europe, in Italy, and he saw people go, c- gathering at these coffee shops and having their espressos, and it was another place where they just hung, and mm-hmm. almost like a bar, in mm-hmm, a sense, sure. but not a bar. Right. And he felt like that was something that America would embrace, and so he wasn't, I don't think it was as much about coffee as it was about this environment, or maybe it was equal parts to both, but he that was Social his dream. And he raised money in... My uncle was one of his first investors, and he told me that he thought that that would be a good investment, and I should meet Howard, and I did, and I, I was really kind of won over by his personality. What year was this? This was nineteen.
0: Is it eighties or? 90s? Yeah, it was
1: eighties. It was eighty-seven, eighty-six, eighty-seven wow 88 somewhere around there so you're yeah. basically just
0: starting your run yeah. as a solo artist as well
1: but i had sold enough records to where i could write a, a sizable check yeah. to somebody to make an investment so i did
0: oh my gosh dude that I must know. have paid off it did times a zillion. Oh, a zillion probably made more off starbucks than you have off 75 million albums i don't know <laughs> i don't know
1: maybe maybe they're both about the same but dude,
0: that is crazy <laughs> yeah man. it's crazy
1: i know um but howard's a wonderful guy and he's I'm shocked, not shocked, I'm just uh, shocked in a way like, wow, can you believe... How mm. much Starbucks has grown? How it caught on? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know how many Starbucks there are now. Forty thousand everywhere, though. Everywhere,
0: every in China too. That's just going to say that I saw one in China. I saw tons in China. But see, that's that's a great point. It's the social aspect of it. Yeah, because we're social, you know, beings, and yeah. it's a place to go and hang out. You know, yeah. sit down there and go on Wi-Fi and see what's going on. That's that's I never thought about that before. It's a great point. Yeah, it's a great point. Last question for you: What's your favorite song to uh, to play live? Hmm. Well, I think probably my favorite is a song called Silhouette,
1: mm. because I, I, it's a song that's um, a familiar melody, everybody loves that song, but it's also, a, a, it, there's a big open area for improvisation, so every night it's different, I can just wail and do my thing, and uh, that's what I like about it, mm. it's, it's, there's, it's not locked into an arrangement. So it's it's open, and some nights it's I play really great. On it. some nights, I wish I had a do over, <laughs> and, and you can't. So I wait
0: till the next night to kind of go do back you, and get it do again. Do you do that uh, quite often during your sets? Uh, improv oh, solos? Yeah. you try and keep it pretty much exactly the no, same. No, no, we are lots of improv. Yeah. Always,
1: I mean, most songs are improv. Most songs have melodies that I play, mm-hmm. and then after the melodies are over, there's sections where it just kind of happens. And we just jam with the guys. Yeah. and... And then that's how you have the really, really special nights because it's not it's not set in stone. That's right. Even yeah.
0: like with our with our band, we have certain songs that are you know you play them the way this was played, and there's other ones that have that jam element. That's yeah. always the fun part. It's always Whether the fun you want part. to do a sing along or solo, trade offs or whatever. That's what you come off stage.
1: That oh, was what a great show. I know. And then or you come off stage and go, man, we were that's... nobody was listening to each other. What happened? Yeah. I don't know, man. I was just I was always spaced out. Even after all these years, <laughs> I said, do we forget how to play that song? We played it every night. Oh, I don't know, man. You know. It was...
0: <laughs> Just kind of tired. Maybe it was jet lag or something. Do you pull? You're so laid back. Do you ever pull a James Brown? Do you find the guys if they hit a clam? Oh or something no, like that? <laughs> never. Fifty dollars, never. I talked. To Is that Bo- what he does? I talked to Bootsy Collins once, uh, and he was telling me how, at the end of the show, James would give you a, a receipt, a bill, and on that bill would be the clams that you hit, even ones that you didn't even know that he noticed. He heard everything, wow. and it was fifty bucks a fifty bucks. Seriously? A bad note. Yeah. <gasps> you know, he's two hundred fifty bucks. You hit a clam. You know, you did popcorn. You hit a bad note in the fourth verse. It's like, how do you remember this, man? You wait know? but th-
1: but how much money were they making that they could afford 50 bucks a what uh, I lamb. you know
0: I don't know they couldn't have been making very I much I think it was pretty much like don't screw up oh wow James Brown won't allow it jeez so. but yeah you don't have that mentality man it's uh, very laid back and it's no. very cool talking to you dude. See you too thank you so much awesome let's go listen to some Amon and Marth together oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> thanks to Kenny G the uh true OG of saxophone playing with some great laughs, great stories. Love that Johnny Carson story, man. That's so cool. And thanks uh, uh, for, for all the behind-the-scenes saxophone wizardry stories uh, from one of the greatest of all time at his instrument. The best in the world at what he does. And I'm really excited about Kenny G. And Like I said, uh, the secret project in the works, uh, hopefully with uh, with Kenny and Fozzie, uh, which is going to blow your mind. And we've got some confirmed the first tour dates for the Fozzie uh Fozzy's next tour. We got the Lunatic Luau in May 5th. That's uh in uh, Virginia Beach, Canton, Georgia. May 6th, Carolina Rebellion. May 7th, Northern Invasion. May 14th, Rocklahoma. May 26th, River City Rock Fest. May 27th, the BFD Festival. May 28th, and of course in England, Download on June 7th, the main stage. Uh, opening for Aerosmith so that's pretty cool it's a pretty good week winning the US championship the first title I've never had which I did not know makes me a Grand Slam champion there's only seven of us of all time and I'm one of them Uh, long hard road to get that title and it was very cool to see my kids reactions when they came home and saw that I'd won the title so uh, and then also opening for Aerosmith it's going to be a good 2017 for all uh, for me and for all of you as well I got lots of great stuff planned inside the WWE outside the WWE I know you'll stick with me uh, no matter where it is I go including uh, here on podcast one and if you want to support Talk is Jericho. Easiest way to do that is via the Amazon links, which of course, uh, you've heard about this if you've been listening to any of these shows. You click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page on PodcastOne.com. Then you hit the Talk is Jericho button. It's their alphabetical order. All the shows will pop up. Just go to T for Talk is Jericho. Amazon links for USA, UK, Canada. Every time you use the Talk is Jericho Amazon links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage to the show to help us cover production costs. Buy anything you can think of on Amazon and using them links won't cost you anything extra. No hidden fees, extra charges. Just go to podcast Podcast one.com, click on the killer deals button in the top right corner of the page. Hit the talk is Jericho button. You find all my other great sponsors there too. ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. 25% off all DDPY merch. And when you buy a max pack or combo pack, you get a second for 50% off. The price is already 25% off. We love that. Uh, naturebox, go to naturebox.com slash Jericho, get 50% off your first order. CISO, sign up at CISO.com, have a laugh. Use the promo code Podcast1 to get two months for free. And go check out also all the great shows on the Jericho Network including the latest edition the huge hit beyond the darkness blockbuster hit right out of the gate this week they're talking about sasquatches uh they've talked about shadow people back of black eyed kids uh dave and tim from beyond the darkness guaranteed to keep you scared all night long all night long so hit the subscribe button for all the jericho network shows while you're there team tiger awesome killing the town with storm and cyrus and of course keeping it 100 with conan uh that's all those shows are on there subscribe uh, stars listen have a great time and just enjoy yourself man i uh, appreciate it thank you for listening keep listening for the 60 second ap news headlines coming up next and coming up on the friday episode of curly haired kenny week one of the most uh hotly contested uh, prospects right now a lot of uh, debate on where his future is I'm talking about fellow winnipegger Kenny Omega is going to be here with the special guest co-host of Cyrus. So it's three Winnipegers talking about Winnipeg, talking about wrestling. You're not going to hear Kenny uh, Omega on any other podcast uh, doing things the way that we're doing it here on Talk is Jericho on Friday. Omega, Jericho, Cyrus, come check us out. Peace, love, and hugs, Hey, eh? We'll see you then on Friday for a Winnipeg show. Okay, we'll see you then. Yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at PodcastOne.com. That's podcastone.com. This is Bulldog Bob Brown. If you want to get, 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 get. Just read it. uh, If you want to get over and stay over, you should check out the new episode of Killing the Town
1: every Tuesday at podcastone.com. The
0: Podcast One app or subscribe at iTunes. Hey, Geigle, what the hell is iTunes?